Hey, what's up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, and this is the Centered From Reality podcast. It is, uh, what is today? Thursday, September 29th, and you're probably going, what the hell, Alex? It's been almost four weeks since you last recorded a podcast, and apologies. <laughs> this is probably the longest I've gone in a long time without recording anything, but I, I went to Europe. I did a lot of things in Europe, and I forgot to bring my microphone. So, <clears throat> excuse me, so... It was very difficult to record, so took a little break, and of course, the timing was not great because so many things have happened, so many things. It was like there was a few days where I had no service, no Wi-Fi or anything, and then I would get to a point where I could check my phone or check the news, and I'm just going, holy crap, like so many things are happening, and of course, most of it was really not great news, unfortunately. That seems to always be the case, and I have to say, like, when you have kind of a detox from the news and detox from social media and detox kind of from all this stuff, it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. Like, I spent time just thinking about other things, relaxing, traveling, taking photos. I read some fiction, read a book on Mohammed bin Salman, so obviously not totally disconnected, but it was just, it was just nice, you know, and it was a great trip. I surprised my dad in Italy for a wedding. He didn't know I was coming and I showed up and he was very happy. So it was nice just to see his reaction. He said it was one of his, one of the best surprises he's ever had. So that was, that was really nice. I also surprised my Spanish family in Madrid, spent some time with them. I went on a beautiful trip with my mom through Northern Spain, the French Riviera, Monaco, Switzerland. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful time. I'm really tired. I haven't really rested at all. It was a lot of late nights, busy days, early mornings. But I guess that's what you do, uh, especially on the trips I like to plan. Not a lot of rest. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm currently reflecting and reflecting and thinking about potentially trying to stay in Spain permanently. Um, during the pandemic, you know, not being able to move and being back, I think I've been kind of stressed and with grad school as well. And you know, after living in Spain for so long and then having the pandemic happened, going back there just reminded me how much I prefer the life over there and how I have such a fun and strong community there. And yeah, I have a lot of thinking to do. So yeah, that's pretty much all I can say because it's funny, the second I arrived in the United States at JFK Airport in New York, the stress just began again. I mean, airport security was more stressful. No one was friendly. I just remembered how nice it was to be in Europe for a little bit. And of course, everywhere has their problems. So, you know, it's the grass is always greener on the other side, not to sound cliche. But being over there for a little bit, it kind of gave me some time to really think about what I want. And of course, this is not a self-help podcast or a lifestyle podcast, so I'll, I'll digress from that. But I want to, this is probably going to be a little bit shorter episode today. I just mainly wanted to get something out to tell everyone I'm alive, all is well, and we're going to get back into the normal schedule next week because today is Thursday. Usually I do Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So yes, it's going to be a little bit shorter today, but I did just want to talk about what's what's been happening in Italy actually since I've been in Italy a lot the last 4 weeks. I've been that's the one thing I've kind of been following and talking to people on the ground when I was in Italy, and it's about the recent election of a new prime minister who is troubling. And I will spare you my rantings about the Camorra Mafia ring in southern Italy or the lasting influence of criminal activities in southern Italy, the toxic and problematic trash issue in Napoli that still hasn't been solved, the disparities in income and economic well-being between southern Italy and northern Italy, and the rising populism on both the left and the right. I'm not going to get into all those today, but if you do 
have the time and want to learn about more about Italy, you should really look up the Camorra Mafia ring and their dumping and basically exploitation of waste in Italy. It's actually very fascinating. Uh, but anyways, I do want to focus on this election because Italy just elected a very far-right leader who I think will put Italy on the brink and cause a lot of issues inside of Italy and in the EU and around the world. I was talking with some people last night and one of them asked me, they're like, what do you think Putin's long goal is? Or like, what do you, like, how do you think this ends? And I'm like, well, most likely it'll probably be in some sort of coup or, you know, broken government and maybe him dying. I don't know. But also I think he might be thinking that there's going to be a populist backlash against the war. Obviously, the economy in Europe is awful. It's much worse in Spain, Italy, France than it is in the United States. And I know in the United States, things are not good, but it's much worse in Europe, especially with energy prices. And I was telling these people that I'm like, I think there's going to be a populist backlash in almost every country in the West where there's going to be kind of a non-interventionalist movement that's going to say we should not keep helping Ukraine. It's probably going to be more nativist, more right-leaning, and maybe not blatantly supportive of Putin, but willing to kind of let Russia do its thing. And I said, I think if Putin waits long enough and he can still hold power for long enough, there might be a shift in the West where there's governments that start maybe cutting aid to Ukraine. And maybe that's what he wants, is he wants the tides to shift in the West and he wants public opinion to shift in the West. And the reason I, I bring this up now is because I think we're seeing that in Italy already, like we've seen in a few other countries. And this leader, I think, really could be problematic for what the U.S. wants to do with Russia and Ukraine and kind of the uh, agenda right now with countries like France as well. And before we get into why I think this new leader is problematic, I do want to add some context that can kind of context, excuse me, that can kind of help us understand why Italy is in this place in, in the first place. And back in my New Year's prediction episode over the holidays in late 2021, I discussed Italy as one of my predictions. And I discussed it how basically many countries have gone backwards. But on a bright note, it seemed like Italy was going in the right direction. Um, the Economist actually gave Italy their award of country of the year for 2021. And this was because of the leadership and quite effective COVID recovery response and plans. The country also had some of the highest vaccination rates in Europe. And people were like, you know, after a pretty rough decade, it seemed like Italy was going in the right direction. And mainly Mario Draghi. Um, who was the prime minister at the time, was one of the reasons why The Economist said Italy was in the right direction, I guess you could say, because he helped the country. And according to The Economist, it writes here about Mario Draghi, it acquired a competent, internationally respected prime minister. Also, for once, he was able to create a broad majority of politicians to bury their differences to back a program of thorough reform. And Mario Draghi was a perfect man for the job because unlike the populists before him, we have to remember that Italy's had just a lot of chaotic populism, kind of pendulum right-left for about a decade now. So it's been really hard to get things done. And Draghi came in and he was pretty qualified for the job. He had experience as an economist, as a banker, an academic, and a civil servant. He actually served as the president of the European Central Bank from 2011 to like, I think it was 2019. So he had a lot of experience in monetary policy. He had experience in working with the EU. He knew the dynamics of different countries in the EU and how their financial systems were working. So he really came in with an idea and really wanted to put in stringent reforms to help Italy. And also he worked with Emmanuel Macron from France to basically criticize the EU and work towards fiscal reform. And so 
there was a lot of positive, positive, um, I guess you could say, smells in the air. And people were really thinking that Italy was going to turn around, so I predicted that Italy was going to keep seeing a rise. Unfortunately, though, I was <laughs> very wrong, very, very wrong, and as last weekend's election shows, things have gone in completely the opposite direction because Mario Draghi resigned over the summer. I think it was in July, if I'm not mistaken. And the reason why he was successful was because he had succeeded in bringing out the best in Italy's diverse and conflicting politicians and coalitions. And he basically forced an unlikely alliance between several different parties on the right and the left. He worked with groups that maybe were too extreme, but he knew they needed to do so to actually help Italy. And basically, he was just able to compromise. But over, this, over the last few months, these coalitions really fell apart, mainly because they all have different self-interests, differing goals, and are kind of, kind of just not in agreement on what they want to accomplish. So eventually, he wasn't able to hold them together, and he lost his coalition power, and he resigned. And instead, they had this kind of centrist financial hawk who knew what he was doing and last weekend i think it was september 25th the results of this new election were troubling so italians elected probably i would say arguably the most far-right candidate in the country since benito mussolini which is never really great in my opinion unless you support fascism and what happened is that a three-party alliance won close to 60 percent of the seats in parliament and the Brothers of Italy was the one of these three that won the most seats. And because this is a parliamentary system, this means the leader of the Brothers of Italy is the new prime minister. And that is Giorgia Maloney. And she's going to be historic as being a female prime minister in Italy, but she's also very troubling. I would start by saying that while she's not directly or exactly a fascist, she definitely has ties to the movement in Italy. And she has ties to fascist movements from abroad. She spoke at groups like Vox. She supports fascist, or I would say far-right groups in Scandinavia. And as a kid, she was once part of a fascist movement. And if people understand anything about Italian fascism, she's definitely adjacent to that movement if you're being generous. And The Economist notes here in quotes that she joined the youth movement of the neo-fascist Italian social movement and at the age of 19, praised Italy's fascist dictator, Benito Mussolini. The same article also notes that she said, uh, or sorry, she told American conservatives earlier this year that our whole identity is under attack. She has accused the European Union of being complicit in ethnic replacement. So we have some great replacement stuff being echoed. She defends and admires Viktor Orban, Hungary's populist prime minister. She also has had ties to Putin and has been mainly considered friendly to the Kremlin. Though I should add that she has taken a pro-NATO excuse me, a, a pro-NATO stance right now, but again, that could definitely change. She also would likely support either clashes with the European Union or even leaving, um, which we've seen a lot of popularity in Hungary as well for that. She is anti-LGBT. She's very pro-family. She's anti-woke. She's anti-immigration. She's staunchly anti-abortion. Basically, she's anti-everything. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else you would really put it. And in a sense, she just kind of reminds me of a, I guess you could say an Italian version of Viktor Orban. And I, I remember she started by running as kind of a staunch fiscal hawk for cutting programs. But now, like I said, she just kind of seems to run against everything or anything that the left supports. 
And as we've seen in the United States, I don't know if that's effective in actually helping people. It's effective in winning elections when you're anti-everything. But it's not really good at actually governing when you don't have any ideas other than just being anti-left. Um, so that's where we're at with this. So that's always really fun. But that's a key feature of the new right, in my opinion, is it's just being anti-anti-anti-everything. And anyways, it's, it's still obviously early. One can hope, even though I, I'm not too hopeful, one can definitely hope that maybe she will moderate. Again, like, she was part of a fascist movement when she was a kid or younger, much like there are, there are definitely people on the left who were part of communist movements who have kind of moderated over time. But again, what I'm seeing her say and the things she wants to do don't really give me a lot of optimism, <laughs> to say the least. I just don't think in general this is good for Italy or the European Union. Time and time again, to me, it just seems like Italians forget that some of these decisions can have really significant ramifications outside of their border. The same can be said about Brexit, what happened when this kind of right-wing populism, you know, hijacked by Nigel Farage, was able to do what it did. That obviously hurt the European Union as well as the UK. Um, I think about what Trumpism did to the world, pulling out of the uh, Paris Accords, what he did in the Middle East did not help Palestine, even though it did help other countries like Saudi Arabia, the war in Yemen. So some of these, some of these decisions really have ripple effects around the world. And another troubling trend, though, about this that has really been highlighted from this election is that the American right is really complicit and really a strong ally to these far-right movements around the world. The American right, since... The election of Maloney is that they have been really downplaying her extremism and they're really defending her. And it seems like they are just normalizing this extreme far right as normal and as just what's accepted and what's standard and what most people want. And what I mean here is that I saw Charlie Kirk, for example, say that she's a moderate who basically reflects what most people want. And she's not some fascist. She's kind of just a centrist right-leaner who understands that people don't want their country being taken over by immigration, um, that she just supports the family, and she just doesn't like the crazy leftist agenda. And I mean, there's probably sprinkles of truth in that, but at the same time, the problem is, is that she's far right, and she has ties with some very awful people. And by normalizing it and saying that she is not extreme and just wants to protect the country from extremism itself... It really downplays and whitewashes the truth. And the truth is that she's extreme. But I guess you have to just think about it for a moment. And it makes sense that a lot of what the new right in the United States wants is very similar to what she stands for and what Viktor Orban stands for. And that maybe is more disturbing. I, I read yesterday that she's even been in support of far-right social movement groups that kind of would have ties to neo-Nazism. So that's always great. And her party, the Brothers of Italy has a slogan that is close to translated to God, country, and soil, which is very fascist and very, very close to Italian fascism back in the day. And it's like, okay, you, sometimes you just have to call it what it is here. And again, what I've seen people like Marjorie Taylor Greene talk about is that, oh, well, she's not actually a fascist, and the left keeps calling her a fascist. It's like, okay, Let's not call her a fascist, but whatever she is is very adjacent to fascism, and it's not good. And the fact that the American right is so close and normalizing what she's doing, it, it, it's troubling. And 
that kind of goes to my worry is that she would roll back the rights for minorities and immigrants and probably make the country pretty hospitable to groups that do not fit God, country, soil, the normal family. Look, like, when you're anti-everything, it's not good for a healthy society. And I hate to say it, but I think I've been right all along. So, you know, I've on this podcast a lot discussed that there is growing far-right global movements that are in coordination with one another and definitely have origin, origins in fascism. And, you know, what I mean here is you see Viktor Orban speaking in Texas, Georgia Maloney, an American Republican, supporting the far right in Scandinavia, Ted Cruz speaking at a teleconference in Spain for the party Vox, which is also very right and nativist, and so on. You just have this overlap of all these parties that really show support for one another. And ironically... They all seem to hate the globalists, but what we're seeing is kind of a globalist far-right movement that extends over borders and has the same idea. I mean, whenever I've forced myself to listen to Steve Bannon's podcast, he's always, you know, sharing ideas with Vox or Viktor Orban's party or Bolsonaro in Brazil. Like, he, there's so much overlap. And, like, I remember back, it was probably in 2019 or 2020, Bannon was all over Europe working with all these groups. I mean... They have the same actors and the same figures, and it's, it's worrying that it's become so transnational. Um, again, this seems like earlier periods in history. I mean, the Spanish Civil War, for example, even though it was obviously the Republicans and the fascists fighting each other, there was a transnational network with funds from Benito Mussolini, from Adolf Hitler on one side, with also transnational funding from like the Leninists on the other side. Like You have these transnational movements, and it's not good. So... We're going to have to wait and see, like I said, what's happening in Italy, because it is really too early to tell. But, you know, you already have some far right and far left populist movements. Now you have this Brotherhood of Italy party now driving the car. Yeah, uh, I was wrong when I predicted that Italy was going to be on the right track. Anyways, I just wanted to talk about that today. Like I said, starting Monday, it'll be back to the normal programming. I just needed a few days to kind of get over the jet lag, get back in the zone, and really do some thinking. So anyways, have a great weekend. Thank you for listening, and I'll be back. Again, you can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, all that jazz. Take care.